Hello, lovely to have you here again on How to Buy a Kitchen or Bathroom, the podcast brought to you by these3rooms.com. I'm your host, Lindsay Blair, editor of these3rooms.com and Kitchens, Bedrooms and Bathrooms magazine. And today I'm embarking on quite the task of getting to the bottom of how much a kitchen costs. Yep, that's right. We're going in. I'll say it right away that it's a bit like how long is a piece of string. But no matter your budget, whether it's big or small, or the size of your project, whether that is big or small, one thing is for sure. Most of us want value for money. Anyone that knows me knows I love a good bargain. But when it comes to home design and kitchens, it's not necessarily about cheap It's all about getting good value. To help me unravel what exactly good value for money looks like when it comes to costing up a kitchen and setting your budget, I'm going to chat to a Manchester-based designer today to find out. We're going to figure out how to get value for money and what that actually means, because as with many things, it's different to all of us. Whether buying cheap is actually ever worth it, and whether there are ways to save money to balance those books, plus loads more useful budgeting tips and little tidbits of advice. Notebooks at the ready? This is a good one. Need some help finding those all-important kitchen or bathroom suppliers? From kitchen and bathroom companies that can help with your whole redesign to brands specialising in sinks, taps, showers, tiles and so much more, head on over to the These Three Rooms directory and search using your postcode to see which companies are close to you. Simply visit these3rooms.com forward slash directory and we'll help to get your project going. Hello and welcome to Diane Berry, who is a kitchen designer and owner of Diane Berry Kitchens in Manchester. Joining me down the line. Hi, Diane. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Looking forward to chatting. Good. How is Manchester today? Rainy. It always <laughs> No change there then. No, no. Now, Diane, we've been chatting a little bit about today's topic, about how much a kitchen is going to cost. There's so many nuances to it, isn't there? And it's quite tricky to really pin down how much a kitchen is going to cost because there are so many variables. It's one of the hardest questions to answer when people come in and they want to know how much is a kitchen or how much should we budget for? And people don't want to talk about money. It's like they want to talk about colour and materials and what their family does in a space. But the minute you try and talk money, if you, you, you almost get judged as a salesperson. And actually, how can you design well for somebody if you don't know what they're expecting to spend or, or their budgeting? So I try to do it. It's taken me years of some clever tricks to get people to relax and talk about money. It's quite a British sort of stereotype, isn't it, to to be a bit more modest about talking about money. Okay. But for to start off this conversation, I guess we're going to be talking about money. So if you are in the market for a new kitchen, really have an idea from the get-go of how much you've got to spend and be comfortable about talking to your designer about that. Yeah, but it's also talking to your partner about it too because sometimes they've not even had the conversation. So you think, well, if you've not talked to each other, 
how can you talk to a relative stranger about you know it's like saying build me a house and not knowing how much how many bedrooms you want or how you know how much you you can afford to spend on building a house it's yeah 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 so it's getting getting that conversation flowing without it feeling like a salesperson trying to get a maximum size order which is what the, the general feeling is the minute you try and hold a conversation about money I guess for for those people listening who are you know thinking about a new kitchen and they're thinking about how much money they're going to spend on it you know it's big investment so whether you're planning a larger project or just a simply a refit of your existing kitchen for a bit of a refresh what you can do inevitably almost always comes down to what you have available in terms of money so I'm thinking about typical type of scenario so the average cost of a kitchen in the UK is around £10,000 that's what research has shown so I have £10,000 that's my budget but obviously that does vary massively what's going to typically take up that biggest chunk of money well I don't know where the figure £10,000 could possibly come from because you know an average set of cupboards um, with some basic appliances from somebody like Howden's is probably between eight and ten thousand pounds for that and what you've not got then is any fitting costs you've not got plastering electrician tilers and so on so it's very hard to talk about a number of ten thousand pounds for a kitchen because that can't possibly be a finished room so that might be what they go to the likes of the sheds as we would describe them and spend on the cupboards but they probably spend that again on all the other things so an average kitchen is probably more like 15 to 20 when they've done the tiling the backsplashes they've tiled the floor they've done the plastering they've got the gas change and the electric because i don't understand how a ten thousand pound budget could be a finished room because if you take an oven hob extractor sink tap washer dryer dishwasher fridge and freezer you've probably got between four and five thousand pound for an average set of basic electrical goods that go into a kitchen then on top of that you've got a set of worktops which could be you know a set of laminate worktops for 500 pound or it could be a set of quartz worktops for two to three thousand pound so if you add that to your appliances you've got nothing left for, for quality cupboards and that's that's where budgeting is. I always say list what you want electrical wise because that's easy research. So, you know, if you want an oven, do you want an AEG oven that's £399 or do you want a Miele one that's £1,500? And then build up your list if it's a microwave that's, a, you know, a little one hidden in a cupboard or you want a full combi microwave. They're easy things to start your list. So do your list, you know, do you want a boiling hot water tap or do you want a tap? So we're looking at a tap that's £200 or a tap that's nearly £1,000. I guess there's an element, isn't there? And probably the most important element to this before you even set out to go and visit a showroom or asking a designer is thinking about what means the most to you and what you want to spend the money on and what maybe you might want to compromise on. Is there an element to lifestyle in this? that's a whole different topic of lifestyle and and kitchen design go hand in hand don't they we're trying to always dig in and understand people's lifestyles to to try and analyze what's important to them within their budget so if you're a couple is having seriously robust worktops more important than having a nice breakfast bar and somewhere to sit and eat is it so you're trying to analyze their wish list compared to their budget and say, well, maybe that that's not so important and this is more important. You know, is a steamer, you know, you often get people coming in with a 15,000 pound budget saying, 
I've got to have a coffee built-in coffee machine. You think, well, why would you give up 10% of your budget on one appliance that you might use every weekend? So, so you do analyse their lifestyle and their budget hand in hand. So if you're a keen cook, for example, or you love a coffee every single day, you spend a bit of time being like a, a barista at home, you want to invest in those elements because you're going to use them. But I guess the the value for the money comes in how often you're going to use them and whether it's actually going to be, you know, a key part of how you use the kitchen on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. It's it's then also understanding space because some people come in with this massive wish list and then they show show your room and you think, I couldn't get all those things in there and give you a cupboard. (laughs) If you want, you know, American fridge trees, a coffee machine, wine fridge, you know, and the list carries on of all these gorgeous things that they've seen on the internet or they've seen in nine studios and they want them all. But actually, the room's not big enough to take it. So sometimes you might have the budget, but actually it doesn't suit the space. And then other times they, they want the th- things and they haven't got the budget. And there, there lies that whole conversation of compromise. And I often chat to people about cars. Cars are a really emotive conversation. So would you prefer a BMW with no, no accessories and, you know, add-ons onto it? Or would you prefer a Ford with all the toys and that's kind of puts you a little bit on, com- on having a conversation about quality versus budget. You know, if you buy a BMW or a Mercedes and you're not bothered about whether it's, you know, got heated electric seats and steering wheels and things like that, the chances are that car will last you a lot longer than a less you know, entry level car with all the toys on. People seem quite happy to, you know, buy a car and, and then trade it in after three years and I always say they can't do that with a kitchen we have to get it right because you are not going to take this kitchen out in the next 10 years. Well that's the point isn't it it's a long-term investment and yes it is a lot of money whether you're spending 10 grand or 30 or 50 or more you know it's a big investment and it needs to suit you your space as you say and you need to get that value for money but also value in terms of your life. Yeah a conversation that comes up a lot is always Am I spending too much on the on the value of the potential value of the property? So we have that conversation a lot because I'm always uh, my argument with that would be, is it your forever home? That's one of my standard questions. Is this your forever home? If it's your forever home, it absolutely doesn't matter if you spend too much on the kitchen because you're just going to enjoy it for the rest of your life. So it doesn't matter if you're buying a house and flipping it in five years' time, then you don't have to put all the toys in. Because it's not your forever home. You have to consider the value of the property and the, and the value of the investment that you put into the property. I mean, I'm at, I'm at the fortunate end of the market where budgets are higher and lots of people are in their forever homes. So, you know, I took a five-bedroom bungalow and converted it to three bedrooms because it suited my lifestyle. If you spoke to an estate agent, they would say I'm bonkers. But actually, it didn't matter. I've been in the house for 22 years now. So it just doesn't matter because it was about my lifestyle. And the house has increased in value and it's not an issue. I guess value for money goes hand in hand, doesn't it, with being happy in your home? Absolutely. I mean, lockdowns changed everybody's thoughts about their homes as well because we've been shut in them for so long. So it's been amazing to see that our average sale this year is our, so on our average, which I've done the figures for you, is 47,000 this year. Um, last year it was 43. 
So the people are spending more on their kitchens because they want the bigger fridges and bigger freezers and they want the luxury items and they want to feel if I'm going to be locked in my house again, I want a beautiful kitchen and I'm going to treat myself to some toys. It also does tell me that they've got a bit more money to spend because they've not been able to spend it on holidays. Well, yeah, there is that, isn't there? I mean, there's certainly a a boom at the moment in home renovations and we're all experiencing that, which is great. And everyone's investing in their homes because we've been stuck in them for so long. If we try and break it down, are there areas typically within a kitchen design that you're better off spending a larger chunk of your budget on? I think that depends on your family. I think there's a, a misconception that the more you pay, the more robust a kitchen gets. It's not often the case. Usually the more expensive it gets, it can be prettier, but harder to look after and harder to keep looking nice. So, you know, as an example, a formica kitchen or a laminate kitchen is more robust. So if you've got lots of children, it's a really tough kitchen. If you have a hand-painted kitchen, it can be a prettier looking kitchen but actually quite regularly you'll have to repaint it so it's not the most robust. So it's then looking at your family dynamic and seeing are you picking the right things so that you're not getting ongoing maintenance costs. So, you know, a good laminate handleless kitchen, which is where my heart is, you know, picking things that are tough, being from a family of five sisters and a brother, it's important that it could be used without feeling like we couldn't all use the kitchen without worrying about damaging it. Um, And then you get value for money because it lasts you 20 years or 30 years. My kitchen at home is 18 years old. You know, people think I would change my kitchen, you know, every five, 10 years. Why would I if there's nothing wrong with it? There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I guess you've probably designed it because it suits exactly how you live and what you want. So that in itself translates to value for money because it's lasted so long. Yeah, but the classic is future proofing it. So when I'm analysing a client as they're sitting in front of me, I'm trying to work out how old they are. Have they got children? Have they had children? Will they get grandchildren? If they've not got a dog now, might they get a dog? And you're asking all these questions because I'm trying to future proof it so that it suits their life you know, as their life continues in the next 10 to 20 years. So quite often people design rooms for what's going on now and not what, you know, people are saying, oh, well, I don't entertain. So well, that's because you've not been entertaining because of COVID. You know, in five years' time, hopefully we're not all not entertaining anymore. We're, we're having people in our homes again. So let's not ignore the fact that we've not been able to entertain for nearly two years. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you've got to think about what you want now, but also you've got to almost like look into the crystal ball and imagine your perfect future and what you see for yourself and your home and your family and everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's trying to make it work. You know, we've talked about this, you know, one of my my things is you buy cheap, you buy twice. And actually not everybody can do that. And actually if you get to spend a little bit more, it'll last a lot longer. So therefore you're not doing the the buy cheap, buy twice. You actually spend less and get more long-term. I mean, I ran my BMW for 10 years. So it's, you know, I live by that motto. I prefer to buy one quality pair of shoes that's last than buying, you know, a cheap pair that's that's only going to last me a short period of time. So it's something that I've always lived by is spend a little bit more. And it's hard because you, 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 I wish I could do kitchens for everybody, but not everybody can find that little bit more money. And then it's how do you find tricks to make it easier to be affordable? There's a few things I think are overrated. I think corner base units are overrated. 
I think we spend a lot of money trying to put mechanisms in to pull storage out of one tiny corner when actually you could just ignore the corner and put a quality draw unit in and you actually cost you less, but you get better usable space than a cupboard that's got a mechanism that's spinning round or pulling out the corner. As a designer, occasionally you look at a room and think, I've got to do corner base units because they've not got any storage. Um, and it's, you know, buying integrated washers and dryers, we often, if we're hiding them, would do a toll unit and stack freestanding appliances inside them instead of investing a lot of money into machines that are smaller because integrated machines are smaller, buy the machines that suit your family and let the kitchen designer come up with a clever way of concealing them. And quite often it can be more cost-effective because you're buying better quality appliances for a lower price and just spend a little bit more on concealing them. And I guess that way, you know, if you do eventually change your layout, you can just move the washer dryer to wherever you fancy. Yeah, but also if it breaks, you can go and buy any brand you want. You're not restricted to only the companies that sell integrated appliances. Mm. I love these tips. I think they're really clever and they're sort of things that I can imagine people taking into their own project. Are there any other clever ways that you can, you know, cut corners, but without losing out on any of that style or function? Extractors are an interesting one. So I'm a great believer in in making sure you get rid of cooking smells, but extractors don't have to be an appliance that you see. You can put a beautiful piece of door material or a piece of quartz hung between two wall units and put an an extractor that's just built underneath it. You know, they call them canopy extractors. So so instead of buying a, you know, a black glass, you know, inverted extractor that's eight, nine hundred pounds, you can buy an undermounted extractor, the type that you you perhaps visualise in a chimney breast, that's a two to five hundred pound and actually put something prettier around it. So you could perhaps save money, but get something that's more design-led. So there's all sorts of little tricks that you can do, but that's where people have to have the confidence to walk into an independent kitchen shop because we've got the design skills to come up with clever, quirky ideas that give you something that doesn't look like it's come off the shop floor of of one of the big sheds. I know you feel strongly about this topic in terms of buying cheap and buying twice. And there's definitely a real lesson in there about, you know, investing. And another thing, and as you mentioned there, that you feel strongly about as well, is the independent retailers versus, you know, the likes of, you know, Homebase, B&Q, you know, all of those very familiar nationwide chains. And there's definitely a place for them. And it's very popular option for a lot of homeowners. But I think one of the things to mention is there's a whole network of independent retailers up and down the country. And sometimes if you're thinking about your project and your budget is on the lower end of the scale, you might be a little bit daunted to go into those retailers because you might think they're totally out of your price range what's your what's your thoughts on that i'd just say walk through walk through the door i mean we're all here desperate to meet people we love meeting people we've opened a business where you know all our independence we're all like giving up our weekends for the whole of our working lives to meet people and to try and help them you know lots of these small independents are family orientated people where some of them, they're husband and wife teams, or they've got the sons or daughters in their business. And they're actually really caring people. So just walk in and just say, if just say, I don't know if I can afford you, but can we talk? It's like, if, if you have a conversation and, and you can't afford it, then what have you lost? Nothing. I mean, yesterday I was contacted by a gentleman and his email came through and it was really lovely. He said, I feel embarrassed to send you this. 
He actually sent me plans and visuals, which I don't get to see work very often by other companies because I don't like to see other people's work because it, it can stifle you as a designer. It's better to see a blank piece of paper and come up with your own ideas. And I then spent about half an hour chatting to him on the phone and he's coming in this afternoon. Howden's a quoted eight and a half thousand. His budget is 15. So he's accepting that he has got 50% will be buying the kitchen worktops and appliances, but he knows the rest is plastering, plumbing, tiling and electrics. So his budget, budget is, is his plumbing and his tradesman costs will probably be the same for me or any independent shop, as will the cost of the worktops and the ovens and the appliances. So actually all you're doing is trying to bite the bullet on paying more for the cupboards because I sell more expensive cupboards. But my, you know, if somebody's buying an AEG oven from them or an AEG oven from me, it should be at virtually the same price. Or for me, they can go and buy their appliances themselves and I'll still do the kitchen. So we're open to a conversation where he might, he might have been thinking of spending 15, but he might spend 18 with me. He spends a little bit more if he can afford it, but the kitchen will last longer. And my goodness, the design will be a lot better. Because I looked at that design, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't work. That's going to hit that. That won't open. Because lots of them have got designers that have actually not done the job for very long. If you go to an independent, you're meeting with an honest person that's going to make you a cup of tea, a cup of coffee and have a conversation with you. And if you can't afford them, then you've, you've not lost anything. And you've given that independent an opportunity to try and open your eyes to maybe better things or maybe better design. The guy today might leave me with not buying a kitchen from me. I've already recommended another independent that sell in the area that, that sells less expensive furniture. And I'm happy to do that because I would prefer them to go to independents that actually care than be a number on a spreadsheet in a, in a machine. And that's kind of where I've, I feel like I'm probably doing the lecture now on, on the, the <laughs> It is so different. I think the message is, you know, that you could, you, it, to investigate all the options available to you, go to the, the big chains and the, you know, the nationwide branches, but also go down your local high street and see what's available. Search your local area. We launched the Close to Home initiative during lockdown, and that's what that is all about, highlighting the fact that just down your road, you might not have even realised it was there, but there could be a, a great independent kitchen design expert who is just waiting for you to go in and have a cup of tea and a chat with you about your new kitchen. Yeah, I mean, they really do ask all the right questions. They are there to, because they they know to give good design and good service. They have to talk to you about budget, family, who cooks, how tall you are. I mean, I, I, amount of clients I say, how tall are you all? Are you left-handed or right-handed? And they go, you're the only kitchen company that's ever asked that. You think, well, how can somebody design a kitchen for you if they don't know how tall you are? Yeah, I always say to people, you know, what if they ask what to expect from a consultation is it's a bit like a therapy session, isn't it? You get asked everything. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> now, you've mentioned a couple of times about the sort of installation costs and the plumbing. So I want to go into that a little bit more because there are other costs involved outside of the cabinetry, the appliances, the sinks and taps, etc., which, you know, but depending on your wish list and depending on how much you think you will use certain things is where you would prioritise your budget. But what about the design fees if you work with a company like yourselves and then the installation and the labour? What sort of figures are we looking at there? I'm, I'm quite unusual in that I have a design fee that's £3,000. So it's quite a high number. 
And the reason I do that is I have to reduce the amount of people walking through the door and asking to take work away because lots of people would want to take the work to some of the sheds to get it for, you know, they just want the design skill and it's, you know, it's a hard one. So, but we do, so what we would do is we do the initial consultation, whether it's at the house or sitting around a table with architect drawings free. And we do our first design and presentation free. And our design fee then kicks in as a release of drawings. So what, what someone doesn't get is to take my work home with them unless they pay the design fee. And actually, it really is a, it's part deposit. Um, so they can you generally at the end of the first meeting know if you can, if you like the people, do you like the products, can you afford it? And I always feel at the end of the first presentation, the client should be able to get in the car and go, well, I love the design work they've done. It's a great product and we want to work with them, but we can afford it or we, but we can't afford it. And then, oh, how close are we? And then you get to have that conversation. Um, so some people at the end of the first meeting make the decision and pay the 3000 and then they take away all the drawings. Other people, you might have two or three meetings before you release the drawings. And is the design fee payable before any work starts? I only charge it before I do the first design if they're not in the area and they want me to email it. So I don't email any design work unless the fee's been paid. If someone's willing to come here, I definitely do the first design without charging for it, but they don't get to take it away. So they get so everybody can get to come in, you know, look at you look at the team, meet the team, look at the products and have the first design and quote done but they don't take it away because I can't. I had another kitchen shop locally that was saying, go and see Diane, she's an amazing designer, and I'll undercut her. And luckily that client told me that he was doing this. So from then on, I said, I'm not doing it anymore. So I don't want to see other kitchen companies' designs and I don't want them taking my designs. I actually think it stifles design. So the guy that came got in touch yesterday, I'm going to go back to him. He sent me Howden's work. So... He put in his email, I'm really happy with the design. So what he would have probably done with that is send it to several companies and all they would have done is priced it to see if it can undercut Howden. So what he's done is not get any fresh ideas in the melting pot. The best thing to do is to send the room dimensions and say, would you do me a design and this is my budget and then come in and see a design and see if we can hit the budget. Because what you would then get if you went to three companies is not only getting three prices, but you're getting three sets of ideas. And it might mean design-wise, you end up with a melting pot of three three different ideas. You like something from one and something from another. But all of a sudden, you're engaging in design and concept work and what's right for you, not picking one design and getting everybody else to quote the same design. So the design phase usually differ from one retailer to the next. So it's always a good idea to ask upfront whether the design fee applies and also when that is payable but what about installation fees when are you expected to pay that is that sort of at the end when you wrap everything up or is it before installation I employ all my joiners so so the clients you know part of our quote for the kitchen includes the cost to fit it so our payment terms are 25% deposit 75% a week before we fit it and there is no retention till the end and that's how we work. You know, I've got, a, you know, built a, a good reputation. So somebody holding back £500 does not change my attitude to trying to complete someone's kitchen. So the fitting price for me is it is part of my sale because the men are employed by me. 
Again, something for a, a homeowner to, to check. You know, if they're buying a kitchen from any retailer, they should really check what's included. Yeah, you need quite a big conversation about the installation because what, and I don't know how much of this goes on now, but over the years, it used to be that kitchen companies would sell the client the kitchen, but they would pay the fitter direct. And there's a few reasons why companies did that is because one was they would say they were helping the client save the VAT. So, but what they're actually doing is separating themselves from the hassle of the installation. So, so the customer is then dealing with the fitter direct. So if something goes wrong, it's that person trying to get in touch with a one-man band fitter and a van, whereas my clients ring us because my, my fitters are all employed. So it is very different. And I think that you are better engaging a company that takes the responsibility of the design, delivery and installation of a kitchen. In my head, I'm, th- I'm almost making a mental list here of, right, if I'm going in to uh, ask about a new kitchen and I'm, you know, engaging with a designer, right, I need to ask about the design fees, I need to ask about installation fees, who manages what, you know, there's lots of like questions in terms of the, the logistics of it all that really you need to get to the bottom of um, to make sure that the budget that you have is being allocated in these sorts of areas and this is who's going to receive that money at what point in the project so you can really develop a payment plan and keep track of everything yeah when you go into a kitchen store in many respects you as the customer is interviewing the company they shouldn't be coming in intimidated they could be should be coming in and it's amazing you get different if you if you get an engineer coming in they will come in someone that's analytical will come in with a list and they will want to know these answers before they would ever invite you to the house to survey and measure and design their kitchen and then you get other people come in that don't ask any questions at all. And you just think, you're then, I feel like I'm firing so much at them because you're thinking, you need to know these things. What's the warranty? What's the guarantees? Do you employ your fitters? How long have those fitters worked for you? How long has the designer that you're sat with been designing kitchens? If they're new, it doesn't mean they're not good. But have they got somebody with maturity and experience behind them, supporting them, answering the questions about plumbing, ventilation, stop taps, can you move a stop tap? Can I, you know, tag in a waste pipe into a soil pipe? You know, it's nice to know that the knowledge is is in the company to support even the young designers and then whether or not they've got everything that to give you the peace of mind to spend your money. And it's usually the second biggest purchase you make. You know, the biggest purchase most people make will be their home. And the second purchase is often a kitchen. Again, it goes back to that value for money, investing in your surroundings, i.e. your home and your kitchen. The value comes back in not only, you know, the long term use of it, but how good it is on a day to day basis. And I think the true value is that it's the it's the day to day use of it and how happy that makes you feel. It's how it makes you feel. I've got so many clients that say I come down every morning and I smile ear to ear because I love my kitchen so much. And there's a place to put everything and the children know where everything goes. And I'm not constantly trying to find cupboards to squeeze things in because you've thought about everything, Diane. And there's somewhere for the wellies and the dog lead. And and that's why working with independents is where you should be, because they, they will be trying to get you to spend a little bit more, but for all the right reasons, not because they're trying to get their sales figures up or make more money, because they're trying to get you as a happy customer. Because the happier you are, the more you'll recommend them 
and the more that they'll get recommended business. And that's what independents are. It's predominantly run on five-star reviews and recommendations. So I've got one big question to sort of round off this value for money cost topic. And that is, what for you is the true secret of getting good value for money when it comes to kitchen design? Paying a little bit more than you thought you needed to. It's always better to pay a bit more because the thing that you're buying is going to do what you need it to do. If you if you start cutting corners, it won't do the thing you want it to do. So find a way to treat yourself and spend a little bit more. There I say that. <laughs> of course you can. Do you know the quote from John Ruskin? It's unwise to pay too much, but it's worse to pay too little. When you pay too much, you lose a little money. That's all. When you pay too little, you sometimes lose everything because the thing you bought was incapable of doing the thing it was bought to do. The common law of business balance prohibits paying a little and getting a lot. It cannot be done. If you are the lowest bidder, it is well to add something for the risk you run. And if you do that, you will have had enough to pay for something better. Lovely. That sums it up in a nutshell, doesn't it? John Ruskin, long time ago, Victoria. So it's just, it, it's a saying that in our trade, it's been around a long, long time. It's, it's like, you know, buy cheap, buy twice is a shortened version of what he was saying. It's just find a way to just pay a little bit more because it will last twice as long. Well, excellent. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for sharing that quote with me. <laughs> now, I, I end every episode by asking my guests what their golden rule for kitchen design is. So what is yours, generally speaking? Safety. I'd say make it safe. So that, that there are, you know, this, I can't, I think I'd take another two hours just to answer that one question. But yeah, make it safe. Make, make sure there's, you know, not panhandles hanging over edges and things like that. A little um, trick that I always do is I deepen worktop. So you would never see one of my kitchens with a 600 mil deep worktop. I would, there would always be 650 to 700 deep, which just gives you a little bit more of a safety margin at the front of the worktop. And then you don't struggle with back panels burning with hops and things like that. Excellent tip. Great. I will be looking out for that when I next see one of your kitchens. Diane, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, taking the time to chat to me today. Certainly lots of things to mull over there. So thank you so much from me and I'll hopefully speak to you again soon and maybe see you in person soon as well. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Diane. See you, well, 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 thank you very much to Diane Berry for coming on and chatting to me about what it means to get value for money in a kitchen and all things budgets and costs really. I mean, it's such a huge topic and so many variables and so many nuances and it's really personal, I think, as we found out there. The thing that I really took from that conversation was to be open about budget have the conversation and I think we're all guilty of it you know we aren't a nation in the UK that likes to talk about money openly but when you're talking about budgets in your kitchen it's a big investment so being open about that from the get-go is really really crucial as Diane rightly said there and what I also love is value for money is so tied up in what makes you happy as a person and what you want from your home on a day-to-day -day basis. So spend more on furniture you'll love for years. Think about what it's going to look like in 10 years time, 15 years time. Is it going to stand the test of time for you and your lifestyle? 
If you love to cook and you know you'll use lots of the gadgets all of the time, then go for it. Allocate a bigger proportion of your budget to those sorts of gadgets and appliances that you'll use when you're cooking up a storm if that's what you love to do. As I said, value for money is really, really personal. So make a wish list, talk about what you want, talk to each other, the other people that you live with about what they want and what the priorities should be and then go from there. Speak to a designer, ask them for their ideas and most of all, just be open about the money that you have to spend. You never know, you could afford more than you'd initially bargained for. Who knows? As always, if you do have any questions and want to get in touch with me, you can email hello at these3rooms.com. Thank you again for listening and join me next time for more of How to Buy a Kitchen or Bathroom, the podcast.